It's been a while since I've been involved officially at what, at, at, in this institution. Hello, I didn't realize you were over there. <laughs> okay, so I won't ignore you. Um, many years ago, what was then Ontario Theological Seminary, I was on faculty for a few years, and I, I just, I've been reflecting this week, I don't know the interactions I've been having with this demon group of professional men and women with long experience in ministry, and it's been stimulating some of my own memories of men and women who have influenced my life. One of the, I guess it's a privilege, but one of the inevitable happenings as you, as you get older, and especially as, you've re, as you retire, which I have, um, you begin to reflect upon things that have influenced you, experiences you've had, and you begin to process your life in a different way. And just standing here and being in this chapel again and on this campus, just had this image suddenly of Ian Rennie, who long ago, uh, well, maybe not that long ago, but in any case, uh, was dean of what was then Ontario Theological Seminary and an irascible gentleman in some ways, but, but, uh, but deeply loved. And this, I, have the, I had this image in a chapel experience um, of Ian, a staunch Presbyterian, and a very genteel, uh, reserved gentleman in many ways, and a pillar of Knox Presbyterian here in Toronto, and dis distinguished historian, especially for the Canadian church. And I have this image of him going forward in a chapel service and falling to his knees and asking the community to pray for him because he was going through a period of struggle at that moment. And it was one of many ways that Ian demonstrated his his appreciation for the power of a faith community that would cause him to be that vulnerable, but also that willing to seek help from his companions in the journey. And this morning, just for the few minutes that we have together, I'd like to reflect on some of the questions and challenges that we face as we continue to think about the church and our role within it. Uh, this week we've been trying to think about the implications of uh, the, uh, the serious distinction we need to make between the church as an institution that has been created by human hands. The institutional church is a human creation. But that other aspect of it that Paul read about from uh, Ephesians, the church is the mystery, the mystery of God given, gathered, uh, given in service to the world, gathered by God for God's purposes. And to make a careful distinction between those two uh, results in us having to make certain decisions and, and to face certain questions. So I'd like to tell you, uh, maybe put it in some story or maybe just in some statement. Um, I learned very early in my career, again, being influenced by men and women who modeled this, 
I learned early in my career that the results of what I hoped for as uh, what I hoped would be my responsible service, um, would, those results would never be seen in my lifetime. And that has become even more of a present reality as you, you know, creeping closer and closer to 70. Um, but the, the results of service, I really do believe that many of the results of our service will never be seen in our lifetime. So the decisions that I make today, I have to have some trust and some faith that the decisions made today in a community of faith will have the effect of strengthening the church a generation or more from now. I do some work with a foundation that's based in Wheaton, and one of the premises that we work with in, in the foundation work is that the work that we do today, we probably won't see the benefits of it for 30 or 40 years. And that's very freeing in many ways. And it also causes, your face, causes you to face forward and to think in terms of a telos, a future, a hope. The other thing that um, is important to learn is that our work is always with people. It's, we work within institutions, but our work is always and fundamentally and primarily with people and alongside people. And if we ever forget that reality, whether it's because of disappointment, disillusionment, or we're frustrated by what seems to be the failings of people and the dysfunctionalities of groups of people, those things will always be with us. If they destroy you, then uh, that's something you need to take to the Lord and work through. But our work, for good or bad, is always with people. And I remember um, a recent commencement service. The speaker, uh, Timothy Davis, who works with um, English language translation, um, he, he had three, three principles when you're working with people. Get your hands dirty, hang out with the wrong people, and play and work near the edges. Get your hands dirty, hang out with the wrong people, and play and work near the edges. And what's interesting about that is he was taking those principles from the life of Christ. Get your hands dirty, hang out with the wrong people, and play and work near the edges. Uh, you can make what you will of that, but I found it an interesting... I don't normally sit and think about commencement addresses. You know, by the time I'm up out of my seat and on my way to the door, it's gone and forgotten. Uh, but that one kind of stays with you and causes, caused me at least to think. Some years ago, when I was a student at Central Baptist, what was then Central Baptist Seminary here in Toronto, some of you may remember it, way down on Bloor Street. And it was a great old house. And those of us who lived in residence found all kinds of ways to escape it after the doors were locked. And uh, I didn't intend to say this, but I used, I used to be able to sleep um, totally undisturbed. I can't do that anymore. But a bomb could go off in my ear, and I wouldn't hear it if I were asleep. And so my colleagues would often pick me up out of my bed and carry me to different places all over the building. 
And I'd wake up on the front step, or I'd wake up on the deacon's bench at the front door, or I'd wake up in a bathtub in the women's john, or the men's john. Um, but in any case, the, one of the memories that stays with me from that experience, I was quite young, still in my late teens, and um, I was just on fire, all the stories of people going and giving their lives for service, and I was one of these, wanting to invest my life for God, and going forward at every meeting, promising, you know, I'm going to be the one, I'm going to be the one, I'm going to be the one. And I remember this one night, very late at night, thinking, God, I'm going to go out of this building and I'm going to make a difference in the life of the first person I see. And this is like three in the morning, okay? So anyway, we escape the building, start walking St. George Street, which isn't highly recommended these days, but back then we weren't as worried about it. And to my chagrin, my memories of this now, a, a homeless woman pushing a shopping cart uh, was coming toward me. And I didn't even see her. I was blind to the reality of that woman pushing the shopping cart toward me. I was consumed with this passion, my head in the air, thinking, God, I'm going to serve you, and my head is in the stars. And this woman pushing the shopping cart, coming toward me, passed me, and continued on her way, and I didn't even see her. And it didn't strike me until long, she was long past and had disappeared into whatever portion of that part of the city she lived in or, or scrounged in. And that just pounded me into the dirt as a, as a young person in ways that I just wasn't anticipating. And it was a, a spiritual moment for me. So when I think of people in my life who have influenced me, that woman who's probably long since dead influenced my life in very powerful ways. And she doesn't even know it unless she was an angel. However... Some years ago, I was in a slightly different vein. I was at a resort center in Nova Scotia writing a book on a book project that Beth Pastersky and a couple of others and myself were writing. And Children Matter, it's sold dozens of copies. But anyway, the, um, <laughs> I was tired of thinking and writing. So I walked over to the, to the uh, owner of the resort just just to have a chat. We were leaning on the balcony rail, looking out over the ocean, or whatever waterway was there. And I, he asked me, what was I writing? And I said, it's a book. My chapter is, is about the church, the nature of the church. And he, um, he said to me, man, if you want to see the church, go to Walmart on Sunday. If you want to see the church around here on Sunday, go to Walmart. And then, some years later, while doing a conference in Vancouver on the other end of Canada, my colleague at that conference said to me, if you want to see the greatness of Christ, look at the church. If you want to see the greatness of Christ, look at the church. So these two expressions about the church really do set up a challenge for us uh, the, the somewhat bemused, 
negative, I guess, view of church in his area. You know, if you want to see what church is on Sunday morning, go to Walmart. And he's saying something about his perceptions of the people of God in, in the church in that place, or the institutional church. This other expression, if you want to see the greatness of Christ, look at the church. And you may think, well, how is that possible when the church so often is a dysfunctional institution? And what this man was, of course, implying is that the church is much greater than its institutional expression. Another story, uh, when am I done here? Two minutes? 15. Okay, we won't be here that long. Maybe, maybe not. We'll see. Um, I mentioned this earlier in the group, but in 20, 2010, the, Arch, the Episcopal Bishop of Chicago, Jeffrey Lee, told this story to a group of people. He was saying the Bishop of Bath and Wells in the United Kingdom uh, was celebrating the 1100th anniversary of the Diocese of Bath and Wells by walking its boundaries. So after 1,100 years, the uh, Bishop of Bath and Wells was celebrating that anniversary by walking the boundaries of the diocese. He had this to say. He said it's, it was striking that as he walked among uh, the churches in the diocese, uh, walked around that diocese, the people in the church wanted to talk about the church. That was the consuming conversation. They wanted to talk about the church. Then he said this, whereas spending time in the local pub or walking into an encampment of people who live in their cars, he said, they primarily want to talk with me, Bishop, about God. So the people in the churches want to talk to their bishop about the church and all the problems that attend their churches. The people who live in their cars want to talk to me, the bishop, about God. And whatever you make of that story, it does set up at least one thing. It does suggest to us that um, how, how does the church, how do the people of God come to embody God's life-giving presence in such a way that it causes people to ask the question, why do you still believe in God? And many people, particularly today, and particularly younger ages today, many of them have no interest in the institutional expressions of the church. And this just isn't a North American phenomenon. Many today do not see the church as a viable institution in society. And many people of wealth, and there are more men and women with wealth today in their late 30s and 40s, late 40s, those men and women are less concerned about giving philanthropically to the institutional church and its work. They are interested, however, and they can become interested in the mission. And so that reminds me of David Bosch, noted missiologist, and his expression, or his statement in his book, Transforming Mission, and he said, the church doesn't have a mission. The mission has a church. So if you make that flip, the church doesn't have a mission, 
In other words, it's not up to our institutionalized programs to fulfill God's mission. It's up to us to discern the mission and then to become compatible with that. So the church doesn't have a mission. The mission has a church. That's an important distinction. And in some degree, I think, helps those men and women today who are frustrated with the institutional, uh, what they see as irrelevancies of, of people in gathered assemblies. Uh, don't hear me as being overly, well, you are hearing me as being overly negative about the church. I don't intend to be. I still have a great deal of hope, and I have a great many good memories about being in, in church life as a child, as a young person, as an adult. Great many friends that I value, and we have served alongside one another in the various ministries of the church. And I particularly remember, as a young child, getting as many thumbtacks as I could find and putting them on the hammers of the piano um, so that when the pian- pianist went into the worship service and started to play, it sounded like a harpsichord, because I particularly liked the harpsichord. Uh, anyway, the, the fundamental description of the church as a faith community, as a people gathered by God, seeking to embody and practice together um, the, the identity, the character mandated by God, is an important um, factor in our growth and understanding the church and how we respond to God's mission. I, uh, my definition of leadership is really quite simple, but harder to execute. And essentially it's this, the role of a leader or leaders in a congregational setting, let's put it in that setting for now, is to assist members of congregations to understand and live out, to understand their identity and purpose as the people of God, and to live authentically in relation to that understanding. So the role of the leader or leaders in a congregational setting is to assist members of the congregation to understand their identity and purpose as the people of God and to live authentically in relation to that identity and purpose. However, we all know that that institutional structures get in the way. They always will, and you're constantly working with, um, with the details and the problems and the dysfunctionalities that come along with that. And some of us still bear wounds from our experiences in leadership in many organizations, and sadly, among them, um, the, the organization of the church. And we are now at another one of those times in history where the structures of churches and schools and other serving agencies are coming into question. We're in a significant area, uh, era of uh, yet another uh, bulge in what is an ongoing transition. But this, this particular era is being pressed by forces that are somewhat unique. They've, these forces have always been with us, but now the pressure is being felt intensely uh, because multiple pressures are coming together. It's not just financial, but it's, it, there's just a number of pressures that are coming to bear on institutions relate, of the church, institutions related to the church, and we're being confronted with the need to make n- new decisions. And 
in my uh, part of the part of my life that has been invested in in theological schools, I would like one of those transitions to be stimulated by a change in thinking. That we don't any longer equate the words theological education with theological schools. Break that connection. Just as education does not equal public school or any kind of high school or whatever, theological education does not equal theological school. So my choice would be to think in terms of theological education for the whole people of God and theological schools as one way of fulfilling that that mandate. So theological education for the whole people of God is the umbrella. Theological school is just one way of getting that job done. So for theological schools and other serving agencies, the, the task for the 21st century becomes how do we work together to both think about what it means for the people of God to be theologically educated, and you might prefer other terms, but I think you get the point. How do we work together to to make that happen? But at the same time, it shifts your focus from thinking of growth and development and education as being for an elite group of leaders, and, and rather that it's the obligation of all the people of God. And since the church is probably one of the last intergenerational communities on the planet, it also means that if we think of theological education for the whole people of God, we are also including children and all other vulnerable populations in the church. So let's broaden our vision about what we believe to be uh, the responsibility of being part of the gathered people of God, trying to understand our identity and purpose as the people of God, and then having a much more holistic view of what it means to be called to leadership or to some degree of influence in communities of faith. There are three bedrock principles, and those of you who've heard this before, you can sleep now, but three bedrock principles, if you haven't already, fallen asleep, that is. If all the people who slept in church were laid end to end, they'd be a lot more comfortable. But in any case, um, three bedrock principles or values that have shaped my own leadership practices and attitudes across the years are these. If you have a leadership responsibility, uh, one of your tasks is to ensure that an environment exists where... um, people can flourish, where they can find new abilities in themselves, develop them, and use them. That's one of your responsibilities, is to create an environment where that's possible. So I'm long past any desires of career building, but I do remember those years where I was basically obsessed with my own career and my own contribution to the world. you know, forget it. Uh, you know, grow out of that as quickly as you can, if that's where you are. 
and start thinking about the people among whom you live and serve. Create, be instrumental in helping to create an environment where all of you can flourish and use the abilities that God has given you. Second, even if it's, you have to do the hard thing with people, such as admonition, or letting them go, or even firing them, uh, to do it in a way that protects human dignity and that makes it possible, where possible, uh, for the person to move on to the next thing. And, and those are extremely difficult conversations, and I've had many of those. They're not easy. And third, as you foster conditions that promote and release development, your view is always on the goal that what you're, what you're doing is to assist people to develop what God has is developing within them in terms of their capacities to influence others. So the, the, the Timothy passage, it's a progression. It's a geometric progression. You're not cloning yourself. What you're doing is making it possible for other people to assume places of influence and leadership in such a way that they also influence others to assume places of leadership and influence. The kind of thinking and heart work that we have to do when we work with congregations, it's, it's not for the faint of heart. Uh, working in a church is not an easy job, as many of you know. It's uh, demanding in so many ways, but perhaps even more demanding because it peels away layers of who you are in ways that you could never expect. I've learned more about um, my, my failings, my limitations in working in uh, leadership positions than uh, I care to think. Um, I've also had, I also have some amazing memories of working alongside men and women and children who, and together, we have learned. Together, we have done something that we believe has been of some small benefit to the kingdom. And God willing, uh, as we continue to think about the church in its mystery and embrace that with joy and awe and wonder and also think of the church in its realities, its dysfunctionalities, its pains and its struggles as well as its joys, that we won't allow the struggle part to overwhelm our sense of joy and peace at the mystery part. So keep your mind on the goal and also the fundamental character of the church as God sees it. And maybe you, along with Dallas Willard, could say, if you want to see the greatness of Christ, look at the church. Let's pray and then we'll be dismissed. Our God and counselor, we affirm that wisdom is required to lead well. Therefore, we pray that you would grant us continuing clarity as we work through the responsibilities of our ministry roles and deepening wisdom in our judgments. Our Savior and Lord, 
we recognize that decisions are nearly always complex in nature. Therefore, when we have to make decisions that require more from us than we have to offer, grant us the gift of discernment and a true sense of the heartbeat of the communities we serve. Our priest and shepherd, we know that our human capacity is finite and limited. Therefore, when discouragement and the inevitable feelings of inadequacy haunt our days, would you provide wise companions on the journey, grant us common sense, the capacity to hear well, and encourage our hearts. Our creator and servant, we want to recognize the opportunities and the temptations that confront us when we are in places of influence. Therefore, help us both to see and to resist the temptations inherent in position and power, and enable us through the gracious gift of your Holy Spirit to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with our God. And from the prophet Zephaniah, be assured, the Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. Amen.